here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin Show, Dan Bongino filling in for the great one. Had a little scare there for a minute. <laughs> no, the last thing you ever want to hear is silence. I was like, whoa. It was probably my fault. I screwed that up. Mr. Producer, was that on me? It was probably on me, right? <laughs> Bro, I, did I, I'm sorry, man. Did I, I was totally not trying to like call you. You know I love you. I was like, you know, here's what happens, folks, right? When you're, there's a lot of silences on the air when you're in radio. They have like these, I don't know, satellite link up thingies or whatever, right? And there's like this maybe 20 seconds of silence sometimes. And we hit like the 21, 22. I'm like, ah, uh, uh, got a little nervous there. A little bit. Reminds me of Goodfellas. Ah, you insulted him a little bit. A little bit. Insulted <laughs> him a little bit. All right. I got a lot of news to cover tonight. Always a pleasure to be here um, for Mark. Hey, by the way, I want to get this out there because this is really important. He has a huge event coming up this Saturday with his wife, Julie, who is wonderful. They are doing a reading of their of uh, Jack Levin's book, Our Police, this Saturday, the 17th. Barnes & Noble at Tyson's Corner, Virginia at 11 a.m. Signed books will be available. They also have one coming up November 20th. Join Mark and Julie for another reading of Our Police on 11, uh, excuse me, November 20th at 4 p.m. Signed copies will be available there. I'll read that information again later in the show. Don't forget it, though. You don't want to miss Mark. People always show up in droves for his book signings. One of my friends asked me, what's you going to his book signing down in Palm Beach where I live? I'm like, forget it. You got to get online super early. They're always packed. So go check it out. Um, all right, folks, a lot going on down here in Florida where I live, and I want to fill you in on what's really going on. So don't miss this opening portion of the show, because a lot of the information you're getting out there, especially the stuff from the libs in the media, um, is just smoke grenades. It's all a distraction. It's meant to discombobulate you and distract you from what the Democrats are really doing. Let me read you in on what's going on down here in Florida. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, because every time I fill in, Mark has a pretty big audience, as you can imagine. If people take things the wrong way, I get emails for like 10 days about the show. Here's what I am not going to suggest by doing this. I am not suggesting that we should not pay attention to the Rick Scott Senate race or the Ron DeSantis governor race and the recount and the shenanigans and the missed deadlines. I am not suggesting that at all, because when I talk about this, people say, what are you saying? We should ignore that. I'm not. We should definitely keep our eyes on the prize. I'm simply saying to you that I I sincerely doubt the Democrats are going to be able to magically make appear enough votes at this point for either of those races to be overturned. Matter of fact, Rick Scott in what's now the uh, the what the, the recount and it is going to be a manual recount it appears. Rick Scott just added votes. So as I tweeted before, Bill Nelson has now lost the U.S. Senate race in Florida twice, which is, is pretty amazing. Mr. Producer, that's, that, that's incredible. Like in the route, hey, listen, I've lost races. It's tough, but I've never lost the same race twice. That's impressive. Right? I mean, Bill Nelson, guy's been in office, right? He lost the same Senate race now twice. After the manual recount, he's going to have lost it three times. So I'm not saying don't pay attention to those. You should. I'm just saying that I think they're kind of getting out of reach at this point, And the writing's on the wall for Andrew Gillum and Bill Nelson of the Democrat Party in Florida. 
But, folks, there was a race in Florida, a statewide race, that may have been fleeced from right under your nose. And almost nobody outside of, I think, uh, my show and Fox and Friends that I saw is talking about it at all. And you may say when I mention the race, what? What does that have to do with anything? Oh, no, 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 no. This is a very, very important race for a very important reason. And the Democrats are testing what they can get away with down ballot by big distractions up at the top. There's another race in Florida for agriculture commissioner. It's a statewide race. It was Matt Caldwell, the Republican, a strong Second Amendment advocate. Don't forget that part. Against Nikki Freed, the Democrat. A big anti-Second Amendment Democrat who ran statewide. Matt Caldwell went to sleep on election night up 40,000 votes. What happened? He woke up the next day and just like that, lickety split, he was down 5,000. 77,000 magic ballots appeared. Magic ballots, you know, like, uh, like those kids' toys. Mad, you know, like what? Lucky Charms? Is it Lucky Charms? There was that the magically delicious ones. They just appeared. No one seems to know where they came from. Were they valid? Were they invalid? Were they in by the deadline? Did they make it after the deadline? Because what's the point of the deadline then? So why we're all paying attention to the top of the ballot as we should? Don't send me nasty grams, please. If you want to, it's okay. My website is my email. You can send me nasty grams. I please don't. But. While we were all paying attention to those two races, which are quickly becoming out of the hands of the Democrats uh, rather fast, the ag commissioner race is already flipped. Now, why is this important? Why would the Democrats care about a race for agriculture commissioner in Florida? Let me give you a little history of what went on here. Folks. Concealed carry weapons permits down here in Florida are issued by the Agriculture Commissioner's Office. Now, I didn't say that wrong. The Agriculture Commissioner is in charge of that. It used to be the Secretary of State in Florida. There's a great article by uh, Dan Sobieski in The American Thinker that describes this process. It used to be the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State was an elected position. It, uh, after 2002, it became an appointed position in Florida. And gun rights advocates... Uh, Disclosure, I, I work at NRA TV. I do not work for the NRA, but I work at NRA TV. I'm just saying that so you understand. But gun rights groups, a lot of them supported the idea of taking the issuance of concealed carry permits away from the Secretary of State that was now appointed in 2002 back into an accountable voter position. And the only convenient spot for it was in the Agriculture Commissioner's office. I get it. It doesn't, it's not a natural fit, CCW permits, concealed carry permits, and the Ag Commissioner, I get it. But they were elected statewide, and that's good enough for me because it produces some accountability for people who support the Second Amendment rather than an appointed position. Nikki Freed, the Democrat running, ran openly as an anti-Second Amendment advocate. Matt Caldwell ran openly as a supporter of the NRA and your Second Amendment. You can look at their campaign ads. You don't need to hear it from me. Just Google it yourself. Folks, the race has been swiped. No one can account for these 77,000 ballots. And, hey, who's talking about it? Mr. Producer, have you heard about this? No. Of course you haven't. Because nobody, I saw it on Fox and Friends, hat tip to them. I've been talking about it. 
But nobody's talking about it because we're so focused on the big stuff, which is good, which is good. We shouldn't lose. But we can do a lot of things. Folks, what's happening in this race is a disgrace. And Caldwell, when he appeared on Fox and Friends, he was great. He said, listen, I'm not looking to win this race illegally, fraudulently, or anything of the sort. If I lost by valid ballots in by the deadline, I lost fair and square. He was a gentleman about it. A disclosure again, I met Matt Caldwell. We're not personal friends, but I met him a few times. Uh, he's a nice guy. He's a very learned guy. He's not a hysterical guy at all. He's a very down-to-earth guy. He said, I just want to know if I won or lost fair and square. How did I go to sleep with 40,000 votes ahead on election night, wake up the next day down 5,000 because 77,000 ballots magically appeared that nobody can account for? Folks, the Democrats are, don't ever sell them short, ever. The Democrats, nothing they do is by mistake. You know, I I tweeted this out before and I meant it. We have a problem sometimes organizing ourselves, Republicans, strategically and and, 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 and tactically because we're not collective thinkers. We don't think like the Borg, like uh, the Star Trek Borg with the hive mind like liberals do. We're not collectivists. We're independent entrepreneurs. The Democrats do everything for a reason. Everything has a purpose, right? While we're all distracted with the top of the ballot, nobody's talking about that. It keeps the public attention away from the ag race, the public pressure, and nobody's calling for what happened in the ag race. They're doing this, folks, because they're testing this out in the future. Hey, what better way in the future to flip down ballot races, right? Potentially, but I'm not saying there's fraud. The point is we don't know. No one will tell us where the 77,000 ballots came from. You want to make a deep impact on gu- on gun rights in Florida? What better way to get a Democrat in a position where they bureaucratically control it? Now, to be clear, the Agriculture Commissioner can't overturn the gun laws in Florida. But we have a far-left anti-Second Amendment person now potentially walking into that ag seat that controls the process. And as my friend Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch says all the time, don't ever forget this. Ladies and gentlemen, with Democrats, process is punishment. Process is punishment. Whether they use the legal system to slow you down, the legal system to stop Trump, the bureaucratic system to get handgun permits to slow you down and, 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 and slow and delay your Second Amendment rights, process is punishment. And now you have potentially an anti-Second Amendment advocate walking into a seat in the Ag Commissioner's office in Florida and almost nobody's talking about it. It's a nice test case. Lose a Senate race in a red state? Ah, call for a recount. See what happens down ballot. See what other races we can flip while no one's paying attention. It's real, folks. You can Google the story yourself. When we find out where the 77,000 magic ballots come from, I'm happy to update you, Twitter, anywhere else. All right, I got to take a break, but I got more. There's two other reasons in Florida what they're testing out right now do all these laws, they know they're going to lose this race, but they're testing it out, not just to see what they can do down ballot, but there's two other things they're trying to, let's say, take a test run at for the 2020 election by filing these lawsuits. On the other side of the break, I'll talk about it. I'm Dan Bongino, in for Mark Levin. I'm at Bongino on Twitter. If you want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. Don't go anywhere. Mark Levin.
Welcome back. Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter. In for Mark. He's talking about the debacle here in Florida. I mean, this is like an intergalactic embarrassment. I live down here. You know what? It's not all about Florida, though, folks. It's not. It's about these two counties. I want to be clear on that. This state, I'm not just saying it because I live down here, right? It's, it is a very, very well-run state. The roads are nice. You want to get a CCW permit. If you listen to the last block, it's relatively easy. When I moved down to Martin County, one of the things I was really impressed about, I had moved from Maryland, where if you went to the DMV, you had to bring a tent, uh, some MREs, and a water purifier so you'd have enough water for the days you'd be sitting there. Maybe if it rained, you could purify the puddles or something like that. Um, But it was rough. So I moved down to Florida, true story, and I tell my wife, hey, I got to go to the Martin County DMV to get my driver's license. I'll be back in like three, four hours, figuring it would take that long. I was back home in like 45 minutes. The place is really well run. It's these two counties. Florida has 67 counties. It is Broward and Palm Beach that cannot get their act together. I I, I get their acts together. I cannot say this enough. I, I, I hate reusing lines over and over from Fox and my show and this and filling in here. But this is true. The people, the state election officials, uh, the, excuse me, the supervisors of elections in Broward and Palm Beach counties, Brenda Snipes and Susan Booker, they had one job, one job to count the votes. That's the only job you had. My job tonight, right, Mr. Producer, was to show up on time. I even showed up early. We connected at 430, right? Show up on time. Mr. Producer shows up. He produces, makes sure the show goes nice. That's our job. If I don't show up, Mark's not going to invite me back. Why? Because I had one job. Show up and talk on the radio. That's your job. Susan Booker and Brenda Snipes had one job. You are the supervisor of elections. Count the votes. And, and then Brenda Snipes appears on CNN last night. And in one of the most bizarre interviews I've ever heard, she tells Chris Cuomo, things ran smoothly down here. A smooth like like sandpaper. What are you talking about? Is it smooth like like rough eczema with with no skin lotion on it? What are you talking about? They ran smooth. You missed the deadlines. You mixed provisional ballots that were invalid with valid ballots. What are you talking about? I had eczema when I was a kid. That's why I thought of that. It's probably a horrible image, but I did. I used to itch. It was the worst thing ever. Your skin is so rough. It's horrible. It was not smooth. What are you talking about? You had one job. Count the votes. One job. This would never fly in the private sector. They blew it. And now the Democrats are piling on with the lawsuits. So let me get, I didn't forget the two other things that they're feeling out right now, too. There are lawsuits over signatures now saying, well, if the signatures don't match, uh, are you really a handwriting expert? How do you know? Ladies and gentlemen, listen, if the signatures are even anywhere close, if you've ever served in an election capacity or run for office like I did, you know how it works. They're generally accepted. When they say signatures don't match, it's like you have a guy named John Smith and there's like a paw print on it instead. They're not talking about professional handwriting analysis like uh, the arc in the D in the Dan for the Bongino doesn't match the angle in which he signed it on his confirmation card. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about signatures that aren't even close. So the Democrats are suing, saying, hey, whatever, close enough. You're not really a handwriting expert. Why? Because just like I told you before the break with the down ballot races... 
They're, they're testing what they can do down ballot by keeping the attention up at the top with all these lawsuits. They're also testing how much they can get away with on the signature side as well. The guy's name's Johnny Bag of Donuts. The dude signs Joey Bag of Donuts. Like, hey, it's close enough. He forgot his name was Johnny. What the hell happens all the time? Dan, I, sometimes I mistakenly tell people my name is Don. Do you really? No, I don't. I'm just trying to think of this through the liberal mindset. They're trying to get away with and push the signature envelope as far as they can go before the 2020 election. There's another lawsuit out there. Squeeze this in before the break. About deadlines. Now it's like, well, you know, even though early voting in Florida is like 700 days long, you start voting in Florida like right after the presidential election. Of course, I'm kidding. But you get, oh, there's a significant window for mail voting and early voting in Florida. A lot. It's long. Now the Democrats are pushing the deadlines. Oh, man. So what? They didn't get it in by the official deadline time. No big deal. Those deadlines are arbitrary. No, they're not. I didn't know, like, Republicans can only vote on Election Day and Democrats can vote until the Democrat wins. I was totally unaware of that. Is that an Election Day law somewhere? I mean, I said, I said on Twitter the other day, is Democrat voting over yet? Apparently not, because the deadlines don't even matter. What a scam. They're pushing the envelope for 2020. Mark my words. All right, folks, I'm Dan Bongino. In for Mark Levin, 877-381-3811 if you want to call and join the show. Be right back. You wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit. But most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. All right, welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino in for Mark. You want to give us a call, yell at me or whatevs, or if you want to compliment me or make a comment, your call, 877-381-3811, Hey, before I dive back into this Florida thing, again, don't forget, Barnes & Noble, Tyson's Corner, uh, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, this Saturday. I know that plays well. Join Mark and his wife, Julie, for a special reading of Jack Levin's new book, Our Police. This Saturday, the 17th, Barnes & Noble, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, at 11 a.m., signed books available, and the 20th, which is coming up November 20th as well, in Ridgewood, New Jersey. I don't know this place as well as I know Tyson's. But join Mark and Julie in Ridgewood, New Jersey, uh, at the uh, Barnes & Noble there at the, uh, uh, let's see, 4 p.m. on the 20th. Sorry. You're never supposed to say, oh, on the radio. You're definitely not supposed to say, ah, um. 
And they'll be signing copies of the books there as well. 4 p.m. Ridgewood, New Jersey. Oh, bookends event. Sorry, bookends. That's a bookends event, Ridgewood, New Jersey. Come on, Dan. Learn to read. Mark's going to be upset at me. I screwed that one up. All right. I'll read it again. I'll give you this information during the show. Okay. Right, Mr. Producer, like, get it right. He asked one, he had one favor and I screwed it up. So if you're listening, Mark, I'm, I'm really sorry, brother. Don't get mad at me. I promise I'll get that out again. Bookends, Ridgewood, New Jersey, November 20th, 4 p.m. There we go. Very simple. There are election fraud incidents going on, by the way, in Florida or evidence of it. This is infuriating me because people who don't understand what's going on down here, too, the talking head class, you may say, well, you do the talking head stuff, too. Yeah, but I don't make stuff up. They're going on the air saying there's no evidence at all of, of voter fraud in Florida. No, there is evidence. You may not like the evidence. You may be a liberal and you may ignore evidence. You may have been vaccinated against facts and data early in your life that because that's what liberals do. They get the facts vaccine early. You know, they just don't penetrate like facts penetrate into normal people's brains. Right. So there's no evidence at all. Oh, really? Because if you read even like left leaning outlets like Politico yesterday, you'd find out that in Florida, in multiple counties, Florida Democrat officials were alleged to have been sending out these cure affidavits for ballots with the wrong date. No, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. Nothing's going. There's no evidence. People say that all the time. I, I do a lot of cable news stuff, and liberals love to say that because they don't understand what the word evidence actually means. There is evidence. There's a, rec- a recorded phone call, apparently, that surfaced of a Florida Democrat official Telling people that their their ballots, their cure affidavits, their ballots can be fixed on a date they can't be fixed by. Let me walk you through this quick because this is important. Because, again, 2020 is right around the corner. Believe me, liberals don't rest for a minute. They say, we're still working on 2018. Yes, we are, but we have to multitask. They're already on to 2020 in many states. If you send a ballot by mail, right, and it has a mistake on it, whatever it is. There are these things, and it's perfectly legal, I want to emphasize this, for political parties, Republican, Democrat, whatever they may may be, to send these kind of cure affidavit things to people's, and they call them and say, hey, by this date, you can cure, air quotes, fix your ballot, there's a mistake on it. Now, the date they had to be cured by or fixed was 5 p.m. the day before Election Day, 5 p.m. on Monday. That's the date. That's the law. It's not open to Dan Bongino's interpretation. That's just the law. There are very serious allegations that in multiple counties, the Florida Democrat Party was changing that date to November 8th. November 8th is not the 5th. November 8th is after Election Day. That is not legal. It is not legal to change that document. You can send them out. You cannot change the dates. You cannot lie to people and tell them they can change ballots by a certain date when they can't. Ladies and gentlemen, that is called evidence. There's no evidence of fraud, man. Yeah, because you don't read. That's why, if you're a liberal. Open a newspaper or, like, get on your iPhone once in a while and Google Florida election 2018. There's also evidence in Broward County where Brenda Snipes, who thinks she did everything smoothly and by the book, There's also significant evidence that Brenda Snipes had some serious issues with potential, uh, I'm not going to say fraud with this, but at a minimum, electoral malfeasance. Folks, they mixed in invalid provisional ballots, ballots that are no good for whatever reason, non-citizens voting, not signed, not filled out properly. They mixed them in 
with valid ballots, and now they can't find them because they threw out the envelopes. That's evidence. Are you missing that, liberal media people? Folks, this is all a test. Do you understand what's going on here? Let me explain something to you quickly. Oh, hold on a second. Sorry, guys. I had a, one of my phones was falling off my desk. Mr. Producer's like, what are you doing? You can't do that on the air. <laughs> yeah, dead air. I'm sorry about that. If, if you leave dead air, by the way, I, for like five or seven seconds, doesn't like a best of kicked in or something. I didn't want to like freak out. But there's a phone on the side of my desk. It was like falling off. And I didn't want, you know, the, the crashing sound. People think something happened to me here. The audience is very, you know, I like this audience. I've been here a bit. And I don't want them to think something broke or something like that. Here's what's going on for 2020. Although the Electoral College win by Trump in 2016 was pretty handy, folks, the Democrats needed Hillary Clinton needed 38 more Electoral College victories to win. Let me hat tip uh, the Wall Street Journal on this. I forget who wrote it. I think it was William Galston. Forgive me. Um, I can't remember the exact author of the piece, but he brought up a great point. Hillary Clinton got 232 electoral votes. She needs 38 more. She needed 30. Well, she runs again. She'll need uh, they need 38 more. The Democrats to pull this off in 2020. Folks, the 2018 election was not great for us. In some of the states out there where Democrats cleaned up pretty well, I mean, cleaned up and won, if they win those states in 2020, we're going to lose. Now, I'm not a, a negative guy. I'm not Debbie Downer here. I'm just telling you, stay frosty. They need 38 more. There are enough electoral votes In Pennsylvania, I think they have 20. Michigan has 16. And Wisconsin, I believe, has 10. There are enough electoral votes in those three states where the Democrats did very, very well at the top of the ballot in 2018, where if they take those states back, we will lose. That is why this electoral malfeasance going on now and all these lawsuits. Oh, lawsuits about deadlines. Deadlines don't matter. Let's sue. Signatures. Oh, they don't matter either. Down ballot races, oh, nobody will pay attention to them. Let's just sue everywhere. The Democrats don't do anything by mistake. They are natural collectivists. That's why they're socialists, a lot of them. A lot of them are collectivist liberals. Not all Democrats. I mean, there's some moderates uh, left who are voters. Not many moderate Democrats up on the Hill left. But most of them are collectivists. They think with like a collective mindset. They do everything tactically. They, they, they work as a functional unit. They are filing these lawsuits for a reason. This is the perfect test ground for 2020. If, if these states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, which I believe in 2020, we, have a, we stand a good chance of winning. Again, I don't want to be uh, you know, a Debbie Downer on this. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just suggesting to you that if we win, it's going to be close, folks. Remember, Pennsylvania wasn't called to what? Two in the morning in the 2016 presidential we hadn't won Pennsylvania, what was it, since George H.W. Bush? They called it fool's gold because Republicans would pour money into Pennsylvania thinking they could win and they'd always lose. Well, Trump won it. Those states are going to be tight. And if they're decided by half a percentage point, a percentage point, or a quarter of a percentage point or less, and they can get signatures thrown out for, for us and get their signatures accepted, get deadlines thrown out, folks, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. They're not doing this by mistake. I don't believe they really think they have a shot at the Florida Senator gubernatorial race. I don't believe that. They'll fight for it, and believe me, they'll take it if they can get it. That's why I said stay frosty. 
but I believe they're filing a lot of these lawsuits because they're doing some test run to see how far they can stretch election laws with liberal judges before the 2020 election. Florida's always a sliver. President Trump won Florida by only one, uh, you know, one percentage point. Folks, I'm down here. I ran down here. I've, o- I've only been down here three, um, uh, three and a half years now. I'm not uh, a native Floridian. I don't want to be hyperbolic or dramatic, but I'm pretty familiar with the politics. Florida's always won by a hair. Always. Rick Scott, Rick, and, and by the way, hat tip to Rick Scott, who won the governor's race twice by a hair in the Senate race. He never loses. But, you know, you, you win by a nickel, you win by a dollar, you still win. They're testing this stuff out now. Mark my words, we have to stay frosty and we have to stay on top of this and we should be drawing a lot of attention to what happened in the Agriculture Commissioner race in Florida so they do not try to pull this nonsense again. 77,000 magic votes. I have a lot to talk about today. I'm going to get to some more um, on the other side of the break, folks. I want to, There's a tax story out. I have some more in the Spygate stuff. But I just want to wrap this up and tell you this. They had one job. You're the supervisor of elections. You had one job. It was to count the legal votes. They could not do it. The action item going forward is we have to be prepared right now in Florida. We have to be prepared in Pennsylvania, prepared in Wisconsin, and prepared in Michigan for 2020, ready to rock and roll. We have to have legal teams already set up. Republic, The Republican Party, the infrastructure has to be ready to go. If they succeed in moving these deadlines and in moving these signature requirements, you can expect it to happen in your state, too. Now, I applaud the, a lot of the Florida uh, folks down here on the Republican side who were on this quickly. And thankfully, unlike, you know, 2000 with the Bush v. Gore recount, we're kind of hip to their scams now. And we have media outlets that can bring attention to it. One more thing on that, by the way. Remember with the Bush-Gore recount, Gore was never ahead in that. Not that it's relevant to this, but a lot of people are confused about that, too. There are still liberals to this day that insist, like, Gore, Gore was never ahead. Gore was never ahead on any accounting of the battle, ever. Ever, at any point. Remember, it's not about counting all votes. That's a liberal talking point. That's a, that, that sounds nice. We have to count all votes. No, we don't. We have to count all legal votes. We don't have to count all votes. Are we counting non-citizen votes? What about my 14-year-old daughter? Can she vote? The answer is no, of course she can. Well, why not? We're counting all votes. What about votes where they, don't, uh, you know, where they screw up the ballot and vote for three people in the same race? Are we counting those votes? What, do they all get a vote? We're not counting all votes. We're counting legal votes. And we are on the right side of this. Stay frosty. This is the test run. I'm telling you. All right. I'm Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter. If you want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. I'll try to get to some of your calls after the break. And stay tuned. I got a lot of material to get into tonight. Don't go anywhere. I'll be here. Mark Levin. Welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter. In for Mark, if you want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. I do like to take a call in the first hour. So uh, I've been talking about this Florida recount. Rick Scott, is uh, Governor Scott, is now openly accusing. I'm seeing this on Fox now. Uh, Brenda Snipes, the election official in Broward County, of intentionally being late, which to me seems obvious. Uh, she either can't do the job or was late on the election returns. There's no option C there. Uh, let's go to Sherry. In Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Sherry, you're on with Dan Bongino. What do you got for us? Hi, 
Hey, I just wanted to ask you, when you're talking about those 77,000 votes showing up, yeah. are those votes not attached to, like, votes for Rick Scott or somebody else? Because that, that, that doesn't make sense. That they no, it, it does. By themselves? It doesn't make sense. Uh, and nobody knows. As, as Matt Caldwell, the Republican for Ag Commissioner, has stated multiple times, he just wants an answer. Um, Sherry, are they... Are they game day ballots? Are they game day ballots that for some reason weren't processed, which doesn't make sense? Because in Florida, you fill out a ballot and you, you know, you walk up to a, uh, the machine and you put it in. I mean, it, it's processed on, on game day. Were they early vote ballots? Were they m- mail ballots? What? Nobody know. I, I well, wish I, I guess- hadn't. The, the problem is I don't have an answer for you. That's the problem. Well, they seem like they separate. I mean, did they only vote for the egg commissioner and nobody else? Because like here, they're all attached, and you vote on one thing, and that's no, no. There, it is one ballot. It's one long form ballot in Florida. Right. So I, I don't know how the magic ballot showed up. I know Brenda Snipes has had a tough time giving a total ballot count, and that's the genesis of the problem. I mean, think about it, right? If you can't even tell the the uh, Secretary of State Florida election officials how many ballots are outstanding, you could take ballots forever and nobody would know. The only person who knows is Brenda Snipes. She doesn't even know. They've she, got to shut it down. I don't, I don't know. It, it's so out of control, and I don't know how we get control. Yeah, I, I don't either, Sherry, and I appreciate the call. I, I wish I had some good news for you. Um, unfortunately, in these elections coming up that are going to be, um, you know, sliver elections in these states, if this is allowed to continue, how do we know they're not just going to fleece it from under our nose? And like I said, I don't have any answers to that question. So thanks for the call. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, folks, again, this is, you know, it, I, I, the problem is I don't have it. I, I, there's nothing that bothers me more than coming on the air for Mark's show and not having good, solid answers, especially being down here in Florida. But I genuinely don't know where these 77,000 magic ballots came from. I have no idea. Were they early vote ballots? I don't know. Game day ballots? Nobody knows. Brenda Snipes knows, apparently, but there's no chain of custody documents. Uh, People have been asking for the chain of custody documents. Where did they come from? Where were they kept? Who brought them over to the the, the election machines to tabulate? Nobody knows. I'm telling you they're doing a test run here for 2020 to see how much they can push the envelope, folks. I assure you, the Democrats do not waste their time, energy, money, and their personnel on, on, on these nonsense missions. There's always a reason they do something. They know 2020 is going to be close. I mean, look at what happened in Arizona with uh, Kirsten Cinema and Martha McSally. You had Doug Ducey, the governor, win by a, a, a resent, I mean, a just crushed his opponent. Then he had all this split ticket voting. I mean, I, I'm not saying there was fraud there. I'm just saying it's very suspicious how all this split ticket voting seemed to happen. We had, what was it, Pima and Maricopa. They, they were counting ballots days after. I just, you know, the fact that we don't have answers is the problem. Folks, we're supposed to have faith in the process. And I find it especially rich that the Democrats who, when they lost the election to Donald Trump, insisted that the Russians somehow, through some bizarre back channel, stole the election. I find it especially rich that they, the Democrats, who still can't accept the results of the 2016 presidential election, are now trying to steal this one, too. 
alleging, again, all kinds of fraud. It's just nonsensical. You know, I said last night in a TV appearance, and I meant it, you know, I'm not surprised that Hillary Clinton and others think Stacey Abrams uh, is the governor of of, uh, Georgia and that uh, Bill Nelson is still the senator in Florida. They still think Hillary Clinton's the president from 2016. They haven't got over that one. They're not interested in transparency. They're not interested in transparency. They're interested in pushing the red line farther and farther in each election. I got a troubling email this morning from a guy in California telling me about the total mess the absentee process is there. Absentee balloting, absentee ballots showing up, signatures not matching, people just taking them. You don't have faith in the system, ladies and gentlemen. It all falls apart. I never want to see that day. The Constitution is just a piece of paper. I love it. It's the greatest organizing, governing document in the history of humankind. But if people lose faith that the rules don't apply evenly to everybody else, we have a real serious problem, folks. All right, I'll try to get to some more of your calls in the next hour. I'm Dan Bongino, at the Bongino on Twitter, in for Mark Levin. I'm at 877-381-3811 if you want to call in and join the show. We'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. All right, welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. I'm always laughing during the break. Dan Bongino, I'm a happy warrior, folks, filling in for Mark. You want to give us a call, 877-381-3811 if you'd like to join the show. You know, it was interesting during the break. Hey, Mr. Producer, you know uh, you know Linda from the Sean Hattie Radio Show, right? So Linda was on the phone with my wife during the break, and I'm out talking. I'm like, hey, I got to get back for this radio show thing. You know anything about that? This radio is busting her chops. So I made it in just in time, though, folks. Just in time. Actually, we had a little minute break there. I was I was okay. But yeah, I have a home studio for those of you who've listened to me fill in for Mark before. So it's nice to go outside, hang out with the kids for two minutes, chat with Linda, my wife, come back in. All right, let's get back to some serious stuff here. So uh, we covered Florida the first hour. I gave you the skinny on what's going on. Um, it's really a test run for 2020 on deadlines. Pushing deadlines, getting votes in as late as possible. Potentially, in this case, it looks like Democrats get to vote forever. Um, signatures, 
how they don't the Democrats don't even want the signatures to have to match anymore. And it's also a measure to see what they can do in down ballot races. Hey, if you can't win at the top, just take out the ag commissioner and see what we can do. If you missed the first hour, please go back, listen to Mark Levin show. He's got the podcast on iTunes. Check it out. If you're, you're, you're really, really missing out what's going on down here in Florida because some of the national uh, news people are missing it. All right. I want to move on, folks, because there have been some fascinating developments in the whole Mueller's spygate operation against Donald Trump. There's been some news on it recently that has really thrown a big wrinkle into this case. And I'm pretty confident now. I mean, if you know, you've been very generous. I, I wrote a book on this called Spygate. Appreciate a lot of you picked it up. But um, I've been on this case for a long time. And there have been a couple of scars here that I haven't been able to heal or get to to go away at all that I can't seem to figure out. And I think today I kind of nailed it down. What's really going on here. There are two open questions. Um, Number one, what's the exculpatory evidence everybody's referring to? And when exactly did 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 the investigation start against Donald Trump? You'll hear this a lot. If you learn to listen in this case, right, to Devin Nunes and a lot of the Republicans, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, um, guys who are really read in on the case, who have seen the documents, you'll hear them say a lot on the operation against Donald Trump, like, hey, there's exculpatory evidence out there, exculpatory of meaning evidence of potential innocence that was either ignored or not inserted into documents and presented in front of a judge. I mean, that really matters, folks. Think about it, right? If I'm prosecuting you for a bank robbery and I have evidence you were in Maui when the bank was robbed it's kind of important i tell that to the judge don't you think jim jordan meadows and devin nunes keep mentioning this exculpatory evidence that's out there and i've had a bit of a tough time placing it in the case and why it's important i think i got it. i'm going to get to them i'm going to tie this up for you but i have to set you up first okay secondly an open question and an open wound on this case from day one has been when exactly did the spying operation against Donald Trump uh, and Donald Trump's team start? From what we know from the media reports and what the FBI has disclosed, Crossfire Hurricane started in the late summer of 2016. That's the uh, code name for the case against Trump. But, folks, what if it didn't start in late summer of 2016? What if it started way earlier than that? Why is that important? Well, the exculpatory evidence angle is important because if they had evidence of innocence that they ignored, that is obviously law enforcement intelligence malfeasance of the highest order. You prosecuted someone you knew was innocent. But why is the start date so critical? Because, folks, how long were they spying on the Trump team? And did it happen during and throughout the campaign? Why does that matter? Come on, I'm leading you down this path here. The yellow brick road, Oz is straight ahead. Because were they spying on the Trump campaign and potentially other Republican campaigns, people within the Obama administration, to use government intelligence community and law enforcement assets essentially as political opposition research shops. Think about what I just told you. It's bad enough that an operation against the Trump team was initiated in late summer. But what if it started much earlier than that? Just how long were they spying on the Trump campaign and potentially others? Folks, this is a big deal. 
Listen, political opposition research is as old as the, the sun and the stars. Using the intelligence community, foreign intelligence, and law enforcement assets to dig up political opposition research during a campaign? <laughs> oh, whoa. What? Really? Now, what evidence did I have? do I have of that? I've had this just even after writing the book. I'm like, what, what, what? Why is this not coming together on this? Now a lot of this is starting to make sense. And ironically, the evidence was in front of my eyes the entire time. Here's the lead on this. Sometimes on my, my own show, I bury the lead, which is a mistake. I like to get to the lead first. So you, as I lay out the details, you can fit them into what the summary of the story is. I think George Papadopoulos was being spied on way, way before this FBI operation started against Donald Trump. I think potentially as far back as March of 2016. And I don't think the FBI wants to admit to it. Why? Because I think they know the spying operation against George Papadopoulos was only being conducted because Papadopoulos was a, uh, a newly announced member of the Trump team. It had nothing to do with any suspicion of criminal malfeasance at all. And I think they are trying to bury that, although the, uh, let me explain to you why. It's been sitting in front of me the whole time. I even talked about it on this show, filling in for Mark once. Right after Papadopoulos is announced in a, in a meeting with an editorial board by Donald Trump as a member of the Trump team in March, right after that, all of this suspicious stuff starts happening right around April of 2016. Media people start contacting George Papadopoulos. If you listen to my interview with him, I have it up on uh, my podcast. He goes into it in about, I don't know, 30 minutes in or so. He starts talking about media people contacting him right around April of 2016, insinuating to him that there's a FISA warrant on him. How could there be a FISA warrant on him? We've been told by the media, the liberal uh, conspiracy theorists, that the investigation didn't start till late summer of 2016. How could someone in the media contact Papadopoulos in April, uh, not late summer, that's the spring, how could they contact him asking him about a FISA warrant? If you follow the footsteps, it makes all the sense in the world. All the sense in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, what happens March uh, on, on March 17th, right? Right around March in that time frame we have there. On March 17th, the following year, there's leak investigations that go on. There are leak investigations that go on implicating members and staff members of the Senate Intel Committee. People may have had in the media leaked via the Senate Intel Committee. People may have had the information. I'm sorry, but Papadopoulos is contacted April 2017. I want to screw you up. People in the media may have had the unredacted FISA application against the Trump team. There are very credible allegations based on the, the if you look at the background between what happened with James Wolfe and what the, he was, an, he was a uh, staffer on the Senate Intel Committee. He was charged with lying about leaks to his girlfriend in the media. He texts her 82 times 
right after the FISA application is delivered for the Senate Intel Committee. The FISA application get Carter Page to look at, right? He texts her 82 times. How long is the FISA application? It's 83 pages. 82 pages plus a signature page. Why does that matter? Please, if you're confused, stop me. Text me. Tweet me. Text me. Some of you have my phone number. You know who I'm talking about. So this guy in the Senate Intel Committee has the unredacted FISA where the Senate Intel Committee at a minimum does. It's 83 pages. There are multiple pages that are fully redacted, blacked out. Yet this guy on the Senate Intel Committee texts his media girlfriend in the media 82 times right after they take possession of an 83-page document, 82 pages, but just signature page. Why would he text her fully blacked out pages? <sighs> Folks, that doesn't make any sense. What if he texted her the unredacted FISA? What I'm trying to tell you is the media must have known the entire time that Papadopoulos, if they read the unredacted FISA and there's information about an operation against Papadopoulos in there, that this thing goes way back to the prior year in 2016, the spring of 2016, right after he was announced as a member of the Trump team. In other words, they've been lying to us the whole time that, oh, this started in the summer of 2016. It didn't. Why are people contacting him, asking him if he was a target of a FISA? Maybe because they read it in the actual FISA application against Carter Page and there's information about Papadopoulos in there? Folks, this is all starting to make sense now. They're hiding the fact that this was an operation against his campaign. They had to take a fall. They had to drop an L on the Carter Page FISA. That was going to come out no matter what. But they don't want anybody to know how long this was going on and how many, how many targets they are. Listen, I get it. I, 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 I laid that out in a little bit of a confusing way. It's a complicated story. I got to take a break. But on the other side of the break, I promise I'll make this make sense for you. It's because I messed up the 2016 and 2017, if you caught that. But know this. Take a break. Digest this during the break. The operation against the Trump team was going on longer than they want to admit. Papadopoulos was likely a target very early in the spring of 2016, before the investigation even formally began. Media people probably found out about it in 2017 based on texts, likely from this staffer to his media girlfriend, and know the whole story. That Papadopoulos may be a target. This may be in those redactions. And that may be where a lot of the exculpatory evidence is as well. This is the craziest story ever told, folks. And it only gets better by the I'll tell you why what's new, but I haven't even mentioned what's new about this and why I'm bringing this up now. But now that you understand where we're going to go with this on the other side of the break, I'll tell you why it matters. All right, I'm Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter. If you want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I'm going to put this together for you. I know it's a complicated case. And I'm Dan Bongino in for Mark Levin. Uh, I promise I'll put it together for you for the end of the show. But don't go anywhere because it is the greatest story ever told. It's a tragic story. It's an awful story. It's a grotesque story of the government abuse of power, the weaponization of the IC, the intelligence community and law enforcement under the Obama administration. But it's a powerful story. And if it's handled right and we can get to the bottom of it, 
It can be a significant learning event in the history of our republic of the dangers that presents itself when people marry themselves to the idea that government can do no wrong, notably liberals who seem to be in love with government as some benevolent force in our lives. This Spygate thing was real, folks. The evidence is everywhere. All right, before I jump back in, don't forget, Barnes & Noble, uh, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, this Saturday. Barnes & Noble, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, this Saturday. Join Julie and Mark, his lovely wife, Julie, for a special reading of Our Police. This Saturday, Barnes & Noble, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, at 11 a.m. Signed books available. Also, at Bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey, on November 20th at 4 p.m., a special reading again by Mark and Julie Levin of Our Police. They'll be signing copies of the books there as well. Don't forget, you don't want to miss out on the opportunity to see Mark. He's a really nice guy um, in person, too. Mark, uh, Mark's legit, folks. He's, I'll just leave it at that. He's the, he's the real deal. It's been a real honor to know him. All right, I'm name-dropping a little bit. Pretty cool hanging with Mark once in a while, but he's a good guy. Uh, if you meet him in person, I think you'll say the same. Okay, why am I bringing this up now, the Papadopoulos case and what I just told you about? Because, folks, the whole case starts with Papadopoulos, and I believe he was set up, and I believe this operation was going on longer than the FBI and the intelligence community wants to let us know. I believe it was early as late spring of 2016 that this stuff was going on. Papadopoulos, I believe, is set up. Um, It's the equivalent of someone knocking on your door every day you've never seen before and asking you to go rob a bank with them, hoping eventually you'll say yes. You don't want to rob a bank. They just want you to say after the fourth or fifth time you knock on the door, all right, stop knocking on my door. Give me the details on this bank robbery. Then they go back to their handler and they go, oh, my, he's interested. We got him. Some of you call it entrapment. I believe Papadopoulos was caught up in a scheme like this. I think the surveillance on Papadopoulos was going on for a very long time, a lot earlier than the FBI and the IC wants to let us know. How do I know that? Let me read this. I keep this up on my, uh, I keep this article up. Maybe I should tweet it out on my Twitter account if you all want to read it too. Remember I told you a lot of suspicious stuff starts happening around April of 2017 after Donald Trump is elected, where I believe the media gets wind of an operation, ongoing operation that started a long time ago to to basically fleece information about Trump associates and pour it into a, 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 you know, a a file to be able to spy on them. (coughs) Excuse me. CNN politics. This is an actual headline. April 14, 2017, by Jim Shuto, Pamela Brown, and Eric Bradner. British intelligence passed Trump Associates' communications with the Russians onto U.S. counterparts. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the same time George Papadopoulos says he's getting calls from media people asking him about a FISA warrant on him. This is also right about the same time. The FISA application is given to the Senate and I believe leaked to the media. The FISA application against Carter Page. They likely read in there something about a very detailed foreign intelligence gathering operation on a member of the Trump team that was happening way before the media wants you to know about. Now, on the other side of this break, I want to talk about some recent revelations from one of the key characters in this, this guy, Joseph Mifsud, who meets with Papadopoulos. This guy, Mifsud, through his lawyer, has now resurfaced and has some absolutely incredible claims. 
He says they're going to talk in front of the Senate Intel Committee that I promise are going to blow your mind and will make a world of sense if you understand the lead. The lead again is this. They were trying to entrap a member of the Trump team during the campaign and way longer than they want to admit to. That's what's being hidden, hidden in the redacted documents that Trump, I hope, lets out soon. It's going to be bad, folks. When it all comes out, it's going to be a big black eye. All right, I'm Dan Bongino in for Mark Levin. You want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. We'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. If you're trying to reach Mark on the air, call him at 877-381-3811. The Mark Levin Radio Show continues. All right, welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino filling in for Mark. Hey, on a very serious note, uh, be very careful if you're up in the Northeast. Uh, Mr. Producer was just telling me the conditions are getting ugly up there, um, especially in New York and areas of D.C., WMAL listeners and others. Um, You know, I don't think they were prepared for this uh, this early maybe the roads weren't salted but uh you know the conditions out there are not very good so you know uh you'll do what everybody does in new york and dc you'll get through it but just uh just be careful out there i mean uh i'm like i said i'm down here in florida and we don't really have that issue but i'm from new york and i know when those roads get ugly they get really ugly so if you're in your car um take it easy you know it's not uh it's not worth it. Take it slow, and uh, you'll get home eventually. So I'm sorry to hear that this happened so early, but it looks like they got a little bit blindsided by this storm, which for all my beefs with New York, that's not one of them. They're usually pretty good with the snow. Um, so take it take it slow. All right, so I was talking about Papadopoulos and why this is new. Here's the new news and why I'm bringing this up today. It's not just because I love this story. Joseph Mifsud, the Maltese professor who meets with Papadopoulos from the Trump team way back in the April, uh, March uh, 2016 time frame. Mifsud is the one who starts this whole thing. Understand this Russian collusion fairy tale, nonsense, made up story starts with this guy. If you don't know who this guy is, you'll never understand this case. He is the guy who meets with George Papadopoulos from the Trump team and is alleged to have told him about Russian dirt on Hillary. Without that meeting, there it, the whole collusion fairy tale goes away. The whole thing. There's nothing. If Mifsud is not a Russian agent trying to pass information to Papadopoulos on the Trump team, there is no case. 
You understand that? That's what this whole case is based on, or was when it started. That this Maltese professor finds out Papadopoulos is working on the Trump team. The liberal media narrative is that, I don't believe this narrative, I'm just telling you, this is what they want you to believe. Mifsud is some kind of Russian cutout or carve-out or asset. He finds out about Papadopoulos on the Trump team, tries to make inroads, and in some kind of illicit exchange of information, offers him Russian dirt on Hillary in exchange for what? We don't know. Papadopoulos didn't have anything. Now, I don't believe that version of events. And that version of events hinges on one key fact, that again, Mifsud, the Maltese professor, was a Russian agent. But what if he wasn't? What if he wasn't a Russian agent at all? What if Joseph Mifsud, who's trying to set Papadopoulos up with Russian dirt on Hillary, what if he wasn't working with the Russians? What if he was working with Western intelligence assets? Oh, Dan, now you're getting into, like, conspiracy theory stuff. Really? Because if you missed the breaking news over the last few days, his lawyer, a guy named Stephen Rowe, Mifsud's lawyer, that is, the Maltese professor's lawyer, has now said that Mifsud wants to testify under oath in the Senate committee here in the United States to tell them what? According to his lawyer, he wants to tell the Senate committee that he is a Western intelligence asset. Oh, boy. Oh, that one stings. Oh, kidney punch. Ref, get in here. That one kind of hurts. Oh, man. Really? So Mifsud, according to his lawyer, and as Papadopoulos told me in our interview, and he's right, his lawyer has no reason to lie and defame his client. According to the guy's lawyer, he's not a Russian asset. He was working with friendlies. Oh, he was working with friendlies. Let me read to you again that headline. CNN, April 14, 2017. British intelligence passed Trump Associates communications with Russians on to U.S. counterparts. Oh, did they? That's a CNN article. It's not a Bongino.com article. CNN, that article's still up, folks. CNN politics. You know what? I'm going to tweet this out right now. While I'm on the air, I'm going to tweet this out. I want you all to read this article. I'm going to tweet. I'm going to actually going to put at the end an oldie but goodie here. I'm doing You can't hear it because I turned the, uh, you know, the clicker thing off on the iPhone. An oldie but goodie. So if you go to my Twitter, you can read this, all right? It's at Bongino. I just tweeted it out. You can read it yourself. You can follow along at home. Mr. Producer, you like how I did that on the air? You like that? A little follow smooth. <laughs> Sorry, but I don't mean to mess around. I love this show. I respect Mark's audience. But I want you to see this. The article's still there. It has not been retracted. No one said, hey, we got bad information. The article is still up. So let's backtrack here. So the guy liberals are claiming is some Russian carve-out or Russian asset who offered information to the Trump team. His lawyer is saying, oh, no, he was working with friendly intelligence right around the same time. That the CNN people are getting information about foreign intelligence passing information, specifically British intelligence, onto uh, the Obama administration about the Trump team. Oh, who are the Western intelligence contacts Ms. Sud has? Ladies and gentlemen, just Google the guy. You don't need to be a private investigator. You don't need to be a high-paid first-grade detective in the NYPD. Well, unfortunately, you don't get paid enough. But you get the point. They're really good, the first-graders there. You don't need to be a skilled FBI agent. Just Google Joseph Mifsud. 
Link Campus, or Joseph Mifsud, Claire Smith. And you will see that Joseph Mifsud has worked frequently and often with Claire Smith, who was an intelligence operative for the British at one point. I'm not alleging anything nefarious between the two. I'm simply saying Mifsud alleging that he's a Western intelligence asset through his lawyer is not the craziest theory in the world when you see the guy's history of working with, wait for it, Western intelligence assets. He was invited to a conference in February that the State Department was involved in the organization of in February after all this stuff happened. And he's a Russian asset and our U.S. State Department let him in? He wants to testify. This is new. This is all new. He wants to go up in front of the Senate and tell his story. And his lawyer is saying he was working with friendlies. Do you understand how freaky deaky this is? The left's whole case in the kooky liberal media is that the Russians were trying to pass information to Papadopoulos. Not friendlies. Why would friendlies be doing it? Think. Think it through. Why would friendlies be doing that? Friendly to who? Friendly to the Obama administration? Certainly not friendlies to the American people. How much did the Obama administration know about this? Folks, I just read to you the CNN headline. I'm not making this up. That's not on my website. That's at CNN. How long? How long were foreign intelligence assets passing information about Trump associates to the U.S. government? Was one of those associates George Papadopoulos? How long were they spying on the Trump team? And why were they using foreign friendlies, Western intelligence, potentially Australians in the United Kingdom, to do it? Now does it make sense that when Trump threatened to unredact the redacted FISA warrant that would expose all of this stuff... Ladies and gentlemen, who melted down over it? The United Kingdom and the Australians. They didn't want Trump to do it. Why? What's in there? What's in there? Were we using the British and the Australians to do an end around around U.S. surveillance laws to get information about Trump associates on the inside? Were we doing that? Was a constitutional republic that's supposed to respect civil liberties using foreign intelligence assets to do an end around around our law to spy on a potentially innocent American citizen? Folks, this happened. There's no doubt it happened. The extent of how long it happened and how many people it happened to is still an open question. But the fact that it happened is it's already out there for you to read yourself. Now, Mifsud wants to testify. If he does, I strongly recommend you glue your eyeballs to the television or DVR that if he makes his way in front of the Senate committee. Because there are some questions that people need to get answered and answered stat. Question number one. Joseph Mifsud, were you or were you not a Russian intelligence asset during March and April, the time you met with George Papadopoulos of 2016. 
Keep in mind, folks, his lawyer saying he wants to tell the story. Why would he volunteer to testify under oath if he's going to lie? He's not in the United States. Nobody can find him. Can you explain to me with a straight face why a Russian intelligence asset would volunteer to go speak in front of a Senate committee under oath to reenter the United States, potentially face arrest if he wasn't trying to clear his name? Can you explain to me... In a, in a sane, I'm not talking about like the Looney Tune leftist conspiracy theorists. One kid writes for Medium. There's another guy out there. He's a professor. They're nuts. They don't believe any of this stuff. Can you explain to me why Mifsud would do that? Why he would want to reenter the United States if he is a Russian cutout or Russian asset that's the center of this entire scandal? Why would he do that? What is he, an idiot? The evidence that he was working with Western intelligence assets is everywhere. Just Google it. He's got pictures with Boris Johnson out there, with Claire Smith. These are big wigs in the UK uh, political and intelligence structure. He was teaching a class or involved in this Link Campus class where they were teaching Italian intelligence assets. And you're telling me he's a Russian spy? So the Italians missed it, the UK missed it, the United States missed it when they let him back in the country in February? They, we all missed it. Folks, does this make sense? Does this even pass a basic smell test anymore? Of course it doesn't. I've got more on this. This gets better. The key time with this whole thing, the key time period, is this April time period. There's a lot going on in April. In April of 2016, when he meets with Papadopoulos, Mifsud, and in April of 2017, when I believe the press gets wind of this whole operation to entrap and spy on Papadopoulos, and that's why they start reaching out to him and asking George to confirm it. That's why CNN writes their piece. This all happens at the same time, right after the leaker on the Senate committee is being investigated and later prosecuted for lying about leaking. The press knows this story, folks. How do I know that? Because they already wrote about it. I just tweeted out the CNN piece. Read it. The press has already told us the whole story. CNN included. One last thing before I go to break here. Some of you, because I put all this in my book. It's called Spygate if you want to pick it up. I'm not trying to sell you my book. I'm just telling you. It's, it's all in there. Some people have said to me, why would the press do that? Why would the press give up a illicit spying operation the Obama administration was doing against the Trump team and write about it like I just read to you that CNN piece? Because at the time, folks, they thought it was real. They were being fed heaping piles of garbage by the Obama administration that the collusion narrative was real. They didn't realize it was fake. They're writing about the British being involved in this massive spying operation on the Trump team, thinking that the Trump team was actually colluding with the Russians and the UK was doing the right thing. They didn't realize later they were being led off a cliff and now they can't take any of these stories back. Read them yourself. They've already told the entire story. All right, I'm Dan Bongino in for Mark Levin. You want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. We'll be right back. Mark Levin.
There's another angle on this thing, too. I haven't even gotten to yet. There's so much crazy information about this, this whole Spygate operation that I haven't even got to. It. I'm Dan Bongino with from Mark Levin. You want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. So don't go anywhere. Did I just read that really fast or what? 877-381-3811. The next hour is going to be fascinating because there's another angle on this that just is going to bake your bagels. This, I'm telling you, it's the greatest story ever told in the worst way possible. This spying operation against Trump. There was so much stupidity in it and such a failure to cover their tracks. I'm absolutely convinced they thought they were convinced Hillary was going to win. It was going to all go away. All right. You know, um, Mr. Call Screener, I should take a call. It's good up there. Let's see. What about uh, Tim? Let's take Tim in Albany, New York. Is Tim still there? Tim, what do you got for us? Hey, Dan, how you doing? Uh, big fan of yours, listening to your podcast every day. Thanks, um, So I know you're talking about um, this March and April period in 2016. So yeah. um, I'm just looking at uh, George, George Papadopoulos' uh, tweet from this morning. Yeah. Uh, so he, go, he says, uh, it was at this conference that I learned the Obama State Department, and then in parentheses CIA, was keeping close tabs on me. So, and then he has a link. Um, to the conference. So if you go yeah. to that conference, it was from um, October 26th and 27th, 2015. Um, yeah, so, I saw that tweet. Yeah, I know so exactly what you're talking about. What do you think about. of that? Was, was the yeah. CIA, you know, <laughs> what was going on Tim, there? Tim, I got to tell you, it blows me away. Um, here, here's my experience in, in, the, in the space. I was a Secret Service agent. We were consumers of intelligence. We were never producers. I want to be clear on that. That's for a reason. You know, when you're protecting foreign leaders, you don't want to be producing intel on them or they won't want to be protected. They'll try to get away from you. But when you go overseas and do advances for the president in Afghanistan and Indonesia, places like I, I, I went to, you would deal with and consume a lot of intelligence from our agency and other other places as well. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with how they work. It's not uncommon um, for people engaged in international business um, overseas, especially in areas of the world that could be crisis zones at times, to become, you know, I don't want to say the focus of, but to be incidentally collected upon. So I'm, I'm, I get it. I saw George's tweet. I've spoken to George. Um, I like George. I think he's been very honest and candid. I think he got, uh, there was a big effort to entrap him. But I'm not sure that was like a targeted CIA operation against him. You, you get what I'm saying? And, and listen, I'm open to being proven wrong. But as you know, Tim, you know, you listen to my, my show. I, I, don't, I only say what I can prove or have good evidence of. What I do have strong evidence of, Tim, is in that March-April 2016 period, months after this October 2015 conference George is at, I do have solid evidence that friendly Western intelligence assets were likely trying to set George Papadopoulos up in that period. And I'm going to get to it in the next hour because I've got a lot more to get to on this. So, Tim, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Uh, Thanks for the call. I'm going to tie that up in in the next hour. But I'll tease it here. This will be one of those long teases, right? Joseph Mifsud, when he meets with Papadopoulos, the second meeting... He brings along someone, someone he says is Vladimir Putin's niece. Oh, wow, Vladimir Putin's niece. That's great for an entrapment scandal for Russian collusion. What's the problem? She's not Vladimir Putin's niece. Matter of fact, nobody knows where she is either. She'd be able to answer a lot of questions if we could find her, right? All right, I'm Dan Bongino in for Mark with him. We'll be right back. 
here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. All right, welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino filling in for Mark. You want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. So I have this radio clock in my studio that syncs up uh, via the Internet. So me and the producers and everyone are all on the same time clock. And I just noticed that it didn't reset after daylight savings time. So I'm looking and I'm like, I see Tucker on. Like it's nine o'clock. Is the show over, Mister Producer? You're lucky I even came back on the mic. I thought I was done. I was going to disconnect. I was ready to go eat, do my thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Nelson Muntz. As you're right, you know me well. I am like, oh, every time about this time I start talking about food, I have a ridiculous appetite, and I do get a little hungry. My wife's making some chicken and rice tonight, which is good. All right, I'm Dan Bongino in for Mark Levin again. If you want to give us a call, eight seven seven three eight one. Three, eight, one month. So I was talking about Mifsud, Joseph Mifsud, this Maltese professor who meets with Papadopoulos. And according to the liberal X-Files conspiracy theory fairy tale about Russian collusion, Mifsud is a Russian agent trying to pass uh, information about Hillary's emails to the Trump team through Papadopoulos. The problem about that is, ladies and gentlemen, as my uh, podcast producer said to me, and he was very funny. Sooner or later, you got to produce a Russian in this case. Where's the Russians? Remember those old Wendy's commercials? Where's the beef? Where's the Russians? If Mifsud is not a Russian trying to pass information to the Russians, to Papadopoulos, and he's working for a friendly, or potentially our people, then this is an entrapment operation. This is not a collusion investigation. That has been the theory I have been operating on for a year now, based on very hard evidence that George Papadopoulos was entrapped. This was never a Russian collusion scandal. This is a cleanup operation to clean up an entrapment operation against George Papadopoulos. Are you all tracking with me? I know some of you are. Because I'm following you on Twitter. I tweeted out that article. I'm read, I read a lot of your responses. I liked a lot of them. You know, interactive radio. We got to do that stuff here. It's better. The audience likes it when you engage. So that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm reading your responses, and I see a lot of you are getting it. This is an entrapment operation that was going on way before the FBI wants to admit. How long were they working on members of the Trump team trying to entrap them into being Russian colluders, despite the fact that there are no Russians involved. Mifsud is telling everybody who will listen and his lawyer that he's a Western intelligence asset. He, according to his lawyer, he wants to testify to that back here in the United States. Why would a Russian asset do that? Does this make any sense? Now, here's the other angle. Have you read the charging documents for Papadopoulos, the statement of offense? They are fascinating. It is a bevy of information. It is the prosecuting documents, the Mueller probe used to prosecute George Papadopoulos for a false statement charge to the FBI. The statement of offense is fascinating because there is so much in there if you know what you're looking for. There's one piece in there, and I want to hat tip a source of mine on this. I don't want to pretend it's my own. 
Hat tip, you know who you are. I'm not going to give you up, obviously, on a radio show. It's not exactly blog talk radio. What does Mark have, like 500-plus affiliates? Probably not the good place to out your source, right? I wouldn't do that. But a good source of mine picked up something fascinating in the statement of offense against George Papadopoulos. Apparently, he was questioned by the FBI, as it says in that statement. And one of the questions the FBI asked him was, you know, did you ever have any dealings with anyone with a Russian accent? Russian accent. My barber, Steve from Forest Hills, when I used to live in New York, he had a Russian accent. What the hell does that have to do with Russian collusion? Why is that in there? Do you ever have dealings with anyone with a Russian accent? That's not evidence of Russian collusion. Papadopoulos was a world traveler. He was an energy consultant. Did you ever talk to anyone with a Russian accent? What kind of evidence is that? That's in there. You can read it yourself. Why? Why is it in there? Well, when Mifsud, the Maltese professor who liberals think is a Russian agent, but Mifsud says he's a Western intelligence asset working with friendlies, meets with Papadopoulos at a subsequent meeting, he brings along this woman. He tells Papadopoulos is Vladimir Putin's niece. Wow, isn't that special? Isn't that convenient? Trying to set the guy up for a Russian collusion scandal about Hillary's emails. And you say, hey, you want to meet with Vladimir Putin's niece? It wasn't Putin's niece. It was a woman who goes by the name of Olga Vinogradova. She shows up with Mifsud. Who told Mifsud she was Putin's niece? Is he making it up the whole time? Did she tell him that? Who told her to tell him that? She is not Vladimir Putin's niece. That we know. What's really interesting about that meeting is at the meeting, she tells Papadopoulos she doesn't speak uh, good English. She only basically speaks Russian, and she's sitting there at the meeting, which is a really great cover, by the way, if you're an intelligence asset or working with intelligence assets, isn't it? Oh, I don't speak the language. Meanwhile, you're sitting there, and you speak perfect English. You're listening the whole time. You know how it is, folks. You think someone doesn't speak the language. You speak freely in front of them if you're talking to someone else because you think they can't understand. It's not hard to comprehend. Oldest trick in the book. So she shows up, says, I don't speak English. I'm Olga Vinogradova. I speak Russian and my English is very bad. But I'm going to sit here and I'm going to you know, be introed by Masood as Putin's niece and we'll talk or make eye contact or whatever. Papadopoulos told me in our interview that what was interesting about that meeting is she didn't speak English at the meeting. But then she starts, she starts texting him in perfect English. Afterwards, trying to set up meetings with Russians. Isn't this super convenient? Is this not the most convenient setup in human history? She's saying she's Putin's niece. She says she doesn't speak English. She starts texting him after the meeting in perfect English or pretty good English. That she's willing to set up meetings with Russians, despite the fact that no one's been able to produce one iota of evidence that these people were actually connected to Russians. Now, we know she had a Russian accent. Is that what the Mueller team was talking about in that statement of offense charging George Papadopoulos? Did you ever, we asked him if he ever met with someone with a Russian accent. Were they talking about Vinogradova? And if that's the case, how'd they know about her? I thought your whole charge is on, your whole case centers on the fact that Vinogradova and Misuda are Russian assets. How'd you know about them? 
The Russians tell you? No, I'm serious. How'd you know about that? The Russians let you in on their little secret? Because keep in mind, the Russians have denied from, I'm not suggesting I believe them. The Russians, no question, tried to interfere in our election. Let me be clear. But at least publicly, the Russians are denying it. So they haven't admitted to this publicly. So why would they give up this information about Vinogradova or Masood or anyone else? Who was Vinogradova working with? Was that... Now, he drops a little neutron bomb in this interview with me, he did. Where Papadopoulos says he doesn't think it was Vinogradova even texting him. <laughs> now, that's crazy. Not crazy on behalf of George. I think George may be onto something. I think it was... Olga, air quotes, Vinogradova. We don't know what her real name is. Nobody can find her. Isn't that crazy how she just disappears just like Mifsud? Nuts. <laughs> Nuts how that happens, right? It's only the biggest spy story in human history. We can't seem to find the players. I think it is Vinogradova texting him. But I think she's being told exactly what to text. And that's why her English is rather good in the text messages. I think she was being told exactly what to text to George. Think about it. You're trying to set a guy up and entrap him in an email scheme with the Russians. The scheme's fake. There were no Russians involved in this. It's a scam. It's a scam to set up the Trump team for collusion that they didn't do. So what do you do? You send this uh, fake Russian in there who, who pretends to be Putin's niece with a professor connected to friendlies who know exactly the friendlies know exactly how to set this guy up. They know exactly how to record the conversation. They know exactly how to get the transcript of the conversation. They get George's phone number, and all of a sudden, Vinogradova starts texting him, Hey, you want to meet with Russians? Here's a Russian. There's a Russian. There's Russians everywhere. Yet no Russians have ever been produced in this case. The only Russians that have been produced are on the Macedonian server farms or whatever in the, um, in the GRU in the Mueller indictment still have no connection whatsoever to Papadopoulos or the Trump team. No one's suggesting the Russians didn't interfere in the election. I'm telling you, it had nothing to do with Donald Trump. The Trump team members were set up. It is crystal clear. It is clear as day. All right, I am going to get to some of your calls, I promise. So if you're holding, stand by. We'll get to you. If you want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. I'm Dan Bongino, in for Mark Levin. Again, 877-381-3811. We'll be Mark Levin. Mark Levin Show, Dan Bongino, filling in for the great one. I'm going to give us a call, 877-381-3811. I've been talking about the new uh, revelations in this Spygate drama where the key figure in the case, the Maltese professor, liberals think is a, a Russian who is a, a Russian carve-out, who is not, is not based on my research. If I'm proven wrong later, I'm happy to correct it. But based on what we've been looking at, he looks to be connected to Western intelligence. He wants to testify now. Isn't that going to be interesting? All right, let me get to one of your calls here. Let's go to Dan in Wichita, Kansas. Dan, you're on with Dan Bongino. What do you got for us? Yo, bag of donuts. How you doing? Yeah, but hey, what's going on in Kansas? Man, How'd you lose the governorship race? Or not you personally, but what <laughs> happened with Kobach out there? Well, you know, I did write myself in, but I'm guessing that didn't help the election. 
No, you 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 know a couple hundred thousand more votes, you would have been okay. But why did yeah, Kelly right. win that race? Give us a little skinny on why the well, Republicans lost it, it in Kansas. It's actually an excellent description of why the electoral college is so important. The person that won, I believe, won eight counties out of a hundred ish counties in the entire state. Yeah, yeah. So the winner wins eight counties. The other ninety two counties are basically. Voting for Kobach, but we lose. So. Yeah, that happens everywhere. Even when I lived in Maryland, you have Prince George's, yeah. Montgomery, and Baltimore City. Uh, you know, you were choosing Democrat uh, governors forever, and the rest of the, the rest of the counties in Maryland, the blue state, were actually quite red. And uh, they would, but now yeah. they got a Republican governor up there. Yeah, so even what in you, California, what, I believe it's kind of the same way. Yeah, but California, we're in a lot of trouble. The coast, the California, you got to deal with the coast too. The coast has gone all blue. So, what was your question on this one? Uh, my question is, um, I'd like to preface it just very, very quickly. I know you're very busy. How news works. News works, and I'm talking about ABC, CBS, and everything. I used to work for a local affiliate. We get our news top down via the wire, AP. It's called iNews. We see these stories. We copy and paste them. We put them into our show. They go into the show. We save them on the air. They are never never verified they they are not researched nothing okay so when we have this trump collusion trump collusion russia collusion it's it's just top down there's no research there's no verification there's no you know dan bongino saying hey guys wait a minute this doesn't make sense this masood guy he's a western asset there's none of that so it just gets regurgitated no, I can tell, Dan. I mean, I was at an event recently, um, Politicon. It's a, a political uh, uh, convention out in Los Angeles. And I was on a panel with uh, David Frum um, and a, a professor, I forget his name, and, and a moderator. And I was actually astonished that these guys who were on a panel about Spygate had either no idea what I was talking about when I brought up very simple, easily researched facts about the case. Like, for instance, I brought up the fact that the people who showed up for the Trump Tower meeting with Don Jr., the people that showed up have long (laughs) and detailed connections to people working with the Clintons and the Clintons. They looked at me, Dan, like I was astonished. One of Matter of fact, the moderator of the panel lost his mind. I wound up storming off the stage, taking the whole crowd with me, and he told me to shut the... Mm-mm, we don't have a buzzer here right. up that the moderator said that to me. I'm not even kidding. And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, dude, you're the moderator. You don't even have any idea about basic facts of the case. So I believe what you're saying, because when I argue out and debate this Spygate debacle with people who were who supposedly learned on the issue, I tell them things and they look at me puzzled. Like, what yeah. do you mean? Mifsud was a Western intelligence asset. That's a conspiracy because theory. They're not doing news, Dan. They're not writing news. They're not researching news. Say they are not taking two seconds to say, you know what? This doesn't quite make sense. Let me look this up. Let me just Google for five minutes to verify this. <laughs> right. to make sure this is slightly accurate. Copy paste <laughs> in the news feed that is in the C block. All right. We're going to roll with that. But my actual question, Dan, and I'm yeah. sorry to be so long. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's all um, right. Go ahead. But my actual question is, we're talking about the Trump-Russia collusion and the spygate around Trump. Trump was not always the front runner. Right. Do, we, do we or do we not know in any capacity did this extend before Trump? Because well, we've already established that the Obama administration has definitely spied on their opponents. 
Good Dan, day. this Bye may be the greatest question ever posed to me in the history of filling in for the Mark Levin show. Um, yes. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Here, here's, let me just rephrase the question for the audience. Dan is asking, if there was a spying operation on Trump, was it only Trump? Because as he accurately said, Trump wasn't always the front runner. There were times after Iowa, Cruz could have won. There were times, oh, maybe Rubio's going to pull this out after South Carolina. Let's see what happens. You're right. There was a large suspicion at the time amongst Republican establishmentarians and media types that Trump had no shot. So the question I always ask to people is how many dossiers and spying operations were there? Now, I, I, I let me be clear on this. I'm only rephrasing what people inside the Obama administration said themselves. When asked about this stuff, there's a very high up State Department official with intimate connections to the Clinton team that said in response to questioning under oath, oh, there were multiple dossiers insinuating that, yes, Dan, and I appreciate your call. Unfortunately, I'm up against a break, so I got to run, Dan, but thanks for the call. Insinuating that there may have been multiple information gathering operations against multiple candidates. Again, I'm just telling you what people inside the Obama administration said under oath. Dossiers? There were multiple dossiers. Really? There wasn't just one on Trump? How many of those were out there? Who gathered them? Was it political oppo? Or was this, again, intelligence community oppo? All right, I'm Dan Bongino, InfoMark Levin. We'll be right back. If you want to talk to Mark, we have two numbers for you to call. For regular Americans, call 877-381-3811. For liberals, call 877-381-3811. You know me well. That's my favorite, uh, what do they call those things, like uh, intros? I don't know. I'm not really familiar. Liners, yes, liners. Darn, in the TV business, they call some of them stingers, liners. I took me a while to figure that out that there was uh there were there were two numbers here eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one and eight seven seven three eight one thirty eight eleven I'm not even joking that's the it took me about five minutes to figure out that they were two different numbers when I used to listen to Mark on the radio. Hey, don't forget about this event, Mark and Julie Levin, Barnes and Noble, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, this Saturday. Do not miss it Saturday the seventeenth eleven a m He'll be signing books. He'll be reading Our Police. Bring your kids. It'll be a special children's story time reading. And on November 20th at 4 p.m. at Bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey, join Mark and his lovely wife, Julie. She's great. There'll be another children's story time reading of Our Police. They'll be offering signed books. Check those events out. Do not miss them. Big mistake. Okay. Um, one other angle on this I want to present before uh, we get about a good 25 minutes of show left. But before I leave you for the night is something that keeps coming up in this uh, in this investigation at the Papadopoulos. If you have the Nunez Meadows uh, Jim Jordan translator, which I joke about a lot uh, on my Twitter account. Another way, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows and Devin Nunez and Gowdy to some extent are read in on on most of this stuff. They have seen there, of course, congressional members that are on committees that have seen a lot of this stuff I've been talking about with Mifsud and Papadopoulos and what I believe to be a massive entrapment operation by the Obama administration to bait people in to a fake Russian collusion story. 
One of the things that keeps coming up when you, I, I call it the translator, because if you learn how to listen, there's things they can and can't say. They can't release classified information. They're not going to. These are great members of Congress. Guys, I really look up to. I love Meadows. Jordan's great. Uh, Devin Nunes is terrific as well. Um, they, they're not going to out on television, you know, state secrets. But if you know what to listen for, there's always little kind of hints in there about information that may be coming. And one of the things you hear from them a lot is there's always a conversation about uh, seemingly lately about transcripts, 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 transcripts of conversations, transcripts, meaning something was transcribed. Well, what was transcribed? Let me just throw something out there for you to kind of ponder and chew on for a minute, right? If there are transcripts out there that may be exculpatory for George Papadopoulos, in other words, some conversation that was recorded and transcribed so we can all read it, who was it? Who recorded it? Who could, no, who recorded the conversation? Think about this, right? If, there are, if George Papadopoulos, this alleged Russian colluder on the Trump team, you, you'll hear Meadows and him talk about transcripts once in a while. What are they talking about? Who was recording him? And if he was recording him and the information that Papadopoulos said in the meeting that was recorded and transcribed is Papadopoulos insisting he doesn't want any part of a Russian collusion scandal. Why haven't we seen that yet? Do you ever wonder with Nunes and Meadows and Jordan, too, how when being interviewed on Fox and other outlets, they'll also say there's exculpatory evidence out there. In other words, evidence that Papadopoulos isn't, in fact, guilty, then evidence shows that he's innocent. Are the transcripts and the exculpatory evidence the same thing? Could be. Why does that matter? Is there a transcript of his initial meeting with Mifsud, who the liberals and the uh, the Looney Tunes and the media, the conspiracy theorists, keep insisting is a Russian cutout and a Russian asset? Is there a transcript of that meeting? Some of you smart ones who listen to me regularly, you see where I'm going with this. If there's a transcript of that meeting with Mifsud, who the liberals swear is a Russian trying to give information to the Trump team, how the hell did we get a copy of the transcript of the recording? I thought you just said he was a Russian trying to give information to the Trump team. The Russians have publicly disavowed any knowledge of this. I don't believe them. You shouldn't either. But the Russians have not come clean on this. You see where I'm going with this, Mr. Producer? If I'm not, if you're not tracking, you let me know. What I'm trying to tell you is, why would the Russians publicly deny any involvement in a massive collusion scheme to this day, and then throw their asset under the bus and turn over recordings to the United States government of their involvement in a collusion scheme? Does that make any sense to you? You got it. Thank you, Mr. Producer. If the Russians are still saying we did not, I don't believe them. I'm, 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 they did try to mess with our election. I don't think they were involved in the Papadopoulos meeting at all. They have publicly denied that. If there's a recording of that and Mifsud is a Russian, why the heck would the Russians give us that? Why would they do that? They would be implicating themselves in a scheme they have already publicly denied being a part of. Gosh, you, only, you, you there's only two groups of people on the planet that are dopey and silly enough to believe this. Liberals and media people. Do you understand how dumb that theory is? 
Mifsud was a Russian carve-out trying to give information to the Trump team. We may have transcripts of it. Yeah, really? The Russians were trying to screw with the election? They recorded it and then gave us the recording? (laughs) Do you understand how thick the stupid has to be to believe that? If there are transcripts of the Mifsud meeting, and let me be clear, I'm not 100% certain there are. But there have been hints, if you know how to operate the Nunes translator, that there are transcripts of some of these meetings that may be exculpatory. This may be what they're talking about. How did we get a hold of transcribed material from a meeting with a Russian? We didn't. But we may have gotten a hold of transcriptions of a meeting with a Western intelligence asset. Wouldn't that be interesting? Folks, we would not have recordings given to us by a Russian. This makes no sense. Zero. You're just not paying attention if you believe this. All right. Let me take a call here. Who's been holding a while? Was that Willis in Aberdeen, Washington? Is he still there? Let's, uh, Willis, you there? What do you got for us, buddy? Hey, Danny. How you doing, my friend? I'm pulling Thanks over for right holding, now. by the way. Give me about two seconds. There we go. Car's going to be off in that much time. Hey, I wanted to call you first sure. of all. Even though Veterans Day has come and gone, I wanted to thank you for your service to this country. I uh, put my 20 years in and got out in 2001, and uh, God gave me a pretty good life afterwards because of the service. And I can see he's that you've had a, quite a bit of intelligence throughout your life. And it's people like you and Mark that really give me courage that the things can change. Wow. But, I, but I still have that concern right now. It seems that the country is so divided that I think that for decades now there's been a division. And who was it, Lincoln or somebody that said that if we're going to be destroyed, we'll be destroyed from within? And it's working. I mean, think about it. If there was a Russian operation, I do believe the Russians tried to and they're still going to try to mess with our elections. The Russians must be laughing all the way to the bank right now as uh, liberal media types and liberal conspiracy theorists continue to promote a collusion fairy tale that clearly didn't happen. I mean, they must think this is the greatest return on investment ever. Um, first, by the way, thank you for your kind words. That's really nice of you. I I um, I enjoyed my time. I was in the Secret Service, uh, but I'll tell you, it's nothing um, compared to people who served in our military. And uh, if I can just share with you a story for a minute, Willis, you, you inspired me to say this. When I traveled over to Bagram uh, Air Force Base as a Secret Service agent preparing for the Barack Obama visit, you know, they put us up in these Connex boxes that were converted into rooms, and they were fine. I mean, they were Connex boxes, but if you went inside, it looked like a regular small hotel room. It didn't look that bad. And uh, I remember talking to some of the military guys serving on the base, and I was only there a couple weeks. And they were in these hooches, and they were just a mess. I mean, there was sand everywhere. It was just, uh, I felt bad for them. They were there the whole time away from their kids. And one of the guys had said that to me and thanked me for my service. And I said, no, brother. I said, thank you. I'm, I'm leaving in a week. Um, you know, you're here for, for months and months at a time in far worse conditions, you know, and your life is at stake every day. So to all those vets out there who've served, um, to thank you. Thank you for everything. Now, getting back to your, uh, your, your question there, you know, you're right. Uh, The Russian influence operation has paid massive dividends because people in the liberal media who continue to promote a conspiracy theory about collusion without any evidence are actually doing the bidding of foreign actors who you are 100 percent correct want to tear the country apart from within. Now, I'll tell you this, Willis, and I mean this. 
If evidence surfaces that the Donald Trump team and team members were actively colluding with the Russians, I'm not talking about Trump. I have absolutely no doubt Trump and his family were not colluding with Russia. None. A zero doubt at all in my mind. I have been on this thing for a year and a half. I have searched high and low. There, it, there is zero evidence of that. But if some Trump team guy who was fired at some point or someone on the Trump team at some point was up to nefarious uh, activities, fine. Get rid of him. Prosecute him. But the problem I have with the left is they continue to promote this collusion fairy tale despite not a scintilla of evidence that any of it's actually true. And, and it's interesting that nobody calls them conspiracy theorists. That's what worries me about this whole thing. Yeah, well, that's my concern for the country. And you and Mark, see, you're the younger generation. And Mark and Rush and people like them that are keeping this country together right now, there's going to come a decade where they won't be able to serve us any longer. And it's You know what it is like with Mark Willis? I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know what I think it is with Mark? And I'm not comparing myself with Mark, but guys, because like, they call him the great one for a reason. And he's been a good friend, and he's a really, really good and decent guy. I think Mark and I worked in the real world. I mean, Mark was a chief of staff on, in, in the Reagan administration. He had an actual job, you know? I mean, he did real stuff. I worked in the Secret Service and the NYPD before that. There are a lot of media people out there. And I'm not saying the media isn't a real job. It is. You work for a living. You show up for work. But it's it's not you commenting on, if you're a media type, issues you have no actual real-world experience in on, on and poking fun at people like me and Mark who actually have experience in this space, while you have none, is ironic. And, and the reason I bring it up, Willis, is when Mark first brought up – Mr. Producer, you remember this? When Mark first brought up the idea a year and a half ago that there was a FISA warrant issued against the Trump team. Mr. Producer, remember what happened? Brian Stelter and all the people, oh, Mark Levin's crazy. What a nut. But he was right the whole time because Mark has sources and Mark knows stuff. He worked in the real world. I'm getting the same thing now. So, Willis, thanks for the call. Unfortunately, i got to take a break. But uh, I get a lot of it now, folks. It's annoying, but I deal with it. You know, liberal media types who have no idea about what went on in this case. They don't have a clue, not the foggiest idea. You know, they attack me on Twitter. It's fine, whatever. I get a thick skin. I actually don't, but um, it's, it's annoying, but I get over it. You know, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I go, really? What part of my book? Tell me the footnote that's wrong. And they never do it, of course, because they can't. They know nothing about the case. They're just married to the idea that Donald Trump is a bad guy, period. Full stop. They have no evidence of that. No evidence there was collusion at all. Not a scintilla of it. They're just married to it. They've been in it the whole time, and they don't want to let it go. All right, folks, I'm Dan Bongino. In for Mark Levin. Be right back after this. Mark Levin. Welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter, filling in for Mark. So let's recap all of the interesting and fascinating stuff we discussed on the show today. I opened up in the first hour, talked about Florida. Folks, if you're down here in Florida, you know what's going on. You're read in if you're in the, you know, if you're an activist in the Republican movement down here. Um, a lot of people aren't getting the real word about what's going on. The race in Florida was really about and is really about at this point. The agriculture commissioner race, which it looks like there was some electoral malfeasance in because the ag commissioner deals with the firearm issue. I know. Why does the agriculture commissioner have anything to do with firearms? I explained it in the beginning hour. 
If you missed it, go back and listen on the Mark Levin Show, uh, marklevinshow.com. The Dems are also testing out what they can get away with with signatures and lawsuits down here in Florida. They're testing out deadlines as well. How they can push deadlines perpetually. So what? Democrats can vote, what, a week after Election Day? I mean, when does Democrat vote? Has it stopped yet? Is Democrat voting over yet? I mean, I'm curious at this point. It's ridiculous. They're pushing the envelope down here in Florida to see what they can get away with for 2020. Pay attention to that Agriculture Commissioner race. Look at what happened. While everyone's paying attention to the governor and the Senate race, Scott and DeSantis, which we should, the agriculture commissioner race was already flipped. That is the office that controls the CCW permits, the concealed carry permits. The left is just incredible at doing this stuff. Guy was up by 40,000 votes, winds up losing by 5,000 a day later. Gee, how did that happen? Magic ballots appearing everywhere. I also discussed the Papadopoulos case, how this thing is getting very, very suspicious, folks. I believe the evidence is clear as day right now that he was set up. I believe the unredacted FISA, when Trump unredacts it and exposes the information to the public, is going to show Papadopoulos was set up. I believe the setup began way before the FBI wants to admit it, indicating the Obama administration had weaponized law enforcement and the intelligence community way earlier than anybody suspected to, in fact, spy on the Trump team. The evidence is everywhere if you open your eyes. Talked about the suspicious Russian, Vinogradova, who seems to appear at this meeting with Papadopoulos in an unbelievably convenient uh, set of circumstances that would lead to Russian collusion, even though we can't seem to find the Russians. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm Vladimir Putin's niece. She wasn't. She starts texting him, hey, I can introduce you to all these influential Russians. She didn't. Papadopoulos didn't take the uh, didn't take the meetings. Folks, was this all a setup? How long did this setup go on for? It's all in my book, folks. Uh, Spygate. It was a mega bestseller. Thanks to a lot of you. But I cover a lot of this. This was the biggest entrapment operation in modern political history. They weaponized the intelligence community. They weaponized the law enforcement community to use them as essentially political opposition research uh, outfits. That's not what you do with the FBI. That's not what you do with our intelligence community. And it's not what you do with foreign intelligence partners. I'll leave you with this. Pay close attention to what I told you about Mifsud, too. Mifsud, the professor who meets with Papadopoulos, he's told his lawyer he wants to testify in front of the Senate Intel Committee. He wants to testify about his role in this. The key questions will be, question number one, did you or did you not work with Russian assets right before you met with that Papadopoulos in the meeting where you alleged you had Russian dirt on Hillary? He's saying he didn't even say that. Pay attention to that meeting if it happens. It'll blow this whole case open because sooner or later, the Russian collusion fairy tale types, the conspiracy theorists are going to have to produce an actual Russian. And they have yet to be able to do that, folks. Weird how that happens, isn't it? Don't be a sucker for this. The media is leading you down a nonsense path. This collusion thing is total garbage. All right, folks, I appreciate you all uh, tuning in. I appreciate all the feedback, the emails and the tweets. Thank you very much. It means a lot to me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Mr. Producer, excellent job. You're the best. Mr. Call Screener, love you guys. I will see you all soon. Thank you.